Welcome to the Britflix podcast, and this is Stuart Wright. Um, just want to let you know this next podcast was recorded at the BFI on the South Bank. It was relatively quiet, but it is in a public space, so there's a little bit of noise from passers-by and staff, but not too much to spoil the interview. Please enjoy my conversation with J.K. Amalu, who, with his film Hard Men, is now noted as the granddaddy of the revival of the British gangster film. Hello, this is Stuart Wright on the Britfix.com podcast. I've got with me J.K. Amalu. Hi. Um, and J.K.'s a writer, director, producer. So we've got we've got all the skill sets here to make a film. Do you, do you, do you, do you sing and act? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm a terrible actor. Okay. Well, well thinking about when... Um, I'll, I'll concentrate on the writing from this point of view first, and you can, you can I'm assuming yeah, of course, yeah. You can, you can, you can elaborate as, yeah. as, as you see fit. But so thinking about when, when the writing, writing bug bit you, maybe not film, but what film, play, novel, or who represents a sort of tip of point of view? We're going where you're going. I'm going to write, or you consciously start to go. I'm going to write. Um, I never decided that. Um, I'm, I've always loved stories. I grew up in a household full, full of books, so I've always been reading. Yeah. Um, but I started writing little stories when I was about six. Okay. So it's always been with me. So whether I made a conscious decision of becoming a writer or writing, it's, it's, I don't think it happened. It's just there. You know? I don't remember that you know, I decided to become a writer. Okay. Um, what about directing then? That's more of a directing came on very you know, much later on. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, I yes, I did. You know, as a kid, I mean, I was about ten or eleven years old. I remember you know making the Super Eight millimeters film with yeah. uh, my friend. I think one of the first one we did was um, uh, a kung fu uh, movie because uh, my friend and I, and I were absolutely mad about Bruce Lee. Okay. So we did our own, you know, Bruce Lee. We actually made our own nunchakus as did well. Did you really? Yes, we did, yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of us actually ended up in the hospital because we mishandled the, uh, the weapon. And, well, uh, so. Yeah, one of the actors cracked the other guy's head oh, open, dear. you know, and computerating it with blood everywhere. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the love of stories and films, and it's always been around me, so I, I can't say, it was almost like, uh, when I first uh, college, it was almost like a, a natural progression, okay. and I would go into film. Um, I mean, did, I, you, did, you, did you have any formal writing or filmmaking training, I think you were... Yes, I did, yeah. Um, what happened is, um, I was intending to become, uh, to what, to go and study literature. Okay. Which is sort of... You know, all about writing and books, etc. Of course. Uh, uh, but deep down, I knew I wanted to make films, so I decided, you know, to drop out of. You know, this is in France, isn't it? Yes, I dropped out and I came back to uh, London, mm-hmm. and I went to the uh, London Film School, basically. Okay. Uh, it was a great time because um, there was very little theory. 
And what we had to do is make films all the time. Okay. Uh, and the passion was there because not only you were making your own film as part of the course, uh, also, you know, you were helping other students, you know, who were you know, uh, around you make their own, you know, their film too. So you were always running around doing something on the set. Basically. So you were you were making your film, then yeah. being a crew on another film. Yeah, okay. exactly. That's what happened. Yeah, um, and then after that, really, I mean, it's just you know the, the usual route. I mean, I became uh, a runner, mm-hmm. and um, with a stroke of luck. I saw one of my screenplays uh, very early on, uh, maybe a year, uh, 18 months after I finished film school. And then from that, you know, it was just beyond, you know, your own career. Um, I would what, was your, what was your breaking in, as it were, to sell that script? What did you... The first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've sold with... Uh, are you talking about the first screenplay I sold? Yeah, what you just said then. What yes, was, what yeah. Was, was uh, that was a, a horror film. Okay. Yeah. It was a bit of a crazy moment, but yeah, I mean, I was working for a, um, a producer, a very you know, known producer at the time, yeah. and uh, he was looking for a horror script. So I submitted mine, but with another name on it, because I didn't want any favourite, and I didn't want him to think that I was basically you know, the runner trying to, you know, yeah, 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 to get, yeah. get ahead of himself. So I did that, and uh, I said, oh yeah, well, you know, there's this great screenplay, you should have a look at it. And uh, he had a look at it, and <laughs> he said, okay, well, get, you know, get me the writer on the phone. And that's why well, you know, I <laughs> put my hand up, I think it's really, uh, there was a moment, but anyway, he likes it. Yeah, okay. Because he thought, well, we have to take, you know, balls to do that. Of course, yeah. yeah. So there you go, so that was my first one. And then parallel to that, I was also building up my uh, career as a producer. Mm. Uh, I got together with a couple of schoolmates from film school, Mm. and uh, we set up a company together. And we were producing a lot of uh, documentaries, um, pop videos, short film, um, anything to keep the uh, company going. Okay. I mean, we even ended up uh, producing a... uh, very obscure documentary. We didn't even know what it was about, but we did it because the money was there. You know? mm. So, uh, yeah. what was that? What documentary was that? Uh, I can't remember. I mean, it was uh, okay. All I can tell you, it was a German director yeah. who sold it to us as a film about pigeon, olives, and mirrors. I love a pitch. <laughs> And uh, we looked at each other and said, what the hell is that? You know? And then in the same breath, he said, oh, well, you know, I got £200,000 to make the film, okay. or to sense. make the documentary from German TV. Mm. And uh, we looked at each other and we said, oh, we're in. Mm. We're in. I mean, when even the finished product, I have no idea what it was about. But, you know, we went to Lebanon. Uh, Israel to film that, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think documentaries are a good, are a good medium to to help feature like fictional? Well, yeah. Filmmaking? I mean, it, it depends. I mean, once you've determined, I knew from deep down that I wanted, yeah. I, I wanted to be a director. Yeah. But at its, at the same time, um, I had to be realistic about it and not, you know, say, okay, well, I'm going to be a director. So there were two things I knew I wanted to do to get to that, which, uh, you know, hopefully become 
a competent writer. Mm. I'm not going to say good, bad or anything, but you know, yeah. somebody who's able to put together, you know, put a story together. And at the same time, um, you know, as a producer, you learn how to put a film together from you know, finance point of view, deals, you know, how... Yeah. You know. I did that for about 10 years, and then I decided I was ready. And I've used all my experience as a producer and a writer to put together a package, uh, you know, to, uh, to make my first film, which mm-hmm. was uh, Hardman. Are you film, really? Yeah, that was the one. It was kind of, I mean, I, I don't have it anymore. I used, I, I used to have it. Oh, well, well, there you go. Yeah. It's yeah. still selling. I can't remember it's still I mean, yeah, I can't I, believe it. I bought it. Still it. I probably only bought it um, five years ago, to be honest with you. Um, well, I, I don't know one black cab driver who doesn't know about the film. Mm. Very often, you know, you go in the back of a cab and, uh, you know, and this conversation always goes, um, what do you do? Oh, I'm a filmmaker. Or oh, what film have you made? Mm. Uh, Hardman. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that film. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. So, but that, that's how it came about. And, you know, you've got to be very, I mean, for me, maybe, you know, it works for me. It might not work for other people. But you have to have a plan. It makes, you know, it's funny now, meeting you and knowing your French now, it makes more sense. Because obviously Hardman had something a little different from the glut of British gangster film, you know, gangster type films that were going on in the 90s. Yeah, but I'd like to stop you there. Hardman yeah. was, according to a book, yeah. the granddaddy of the sort of renewal of the, gangster, the British gangster film. Okay. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, well, it's uh, very much like Lockstock. Mm. I always go, well, hang on a minute. I made my movie and it got released yeah, yeah, yeah. way before Lockstock. Yeah. You know, even Guy Ritchie called me up to let me know that you know, he had used uh, Hardman as a reference. Yeah, this one. Yeah. He used half my crew mm. uh, on Lockstock as well. You know? Because at the time, nobody knew there was a market for the kind of gang to sell. Mm. Nobody. So we had a small release. However, the big shock came when the film uh, was released on video and DVD. It just shot through the roof. So everybody was looking around and saying, oh my God, there is a market for that kind of film. You know, there mm. is a market. And they were looking around for the, you know, something similar. Mm. And there was only one film around which was similar and had been lying around for 18 months not finding a distributor or a sales agent, that film was locked up. That's how it happened, you know. It's funny because sometimes, you know, you read uh, on IMDB and stuff mm. like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just a knockoff of locked up. Mm. Or, you know, the bloke just, you know, copied locked up. I was just like, I've even seen it on print from so-called critics, mm. you know. Well, you know, do your research. <laughs> that film was done, made, and released well before. What was it? What was it you made you at that time? Then what were you? What was you seeing? Was it? Was it like? Was you? Was you? Ref, were you directly referencing Get Carter and and Long Good Friday? Were you thinking there's a? Were you thinking that's that's um, something that Britain was good at? No, I mean to be very honest, I mean you know it was more Quentin Tarantino with Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Okay, the story is very different. But, yeah. yeah. You know, well, stylistically, yeah. I mean, my, my DVD had a, yeah. I think it. 
and looking at it, and I thought, well, hang on a minute, where are they not filmed like that in the UK? Mm. But at that time, there was no real gang to film, mm. you know, uh, about, basically, you know. Um, which, you know, did surprise me, because it's a very, very commercial genre. Um, so nobody's done and, it, nobody you know, And British film, get, you know, had made some, you know, you can find some really great British gangster films, mm. you know, from the 80s, from the 70s, like Dead Carter, yeah. you know, so on and so forth. I just couldn't quite understand. And then after Hardman, it was really funny, because then suddenly you had, you know, Lock Talk, and then uh, Gangster Number One, and then uh, Sexy Beast. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not saying that my film suddenly opened people's eyes, that, yeah. you know, but, you know, whatever people say, uh, and I'm not the one who said it, it was in print, uh, I can't remember what book it was, about British film, mm. and they called, you know, Hardman the granddaddy of mm. all the British gangster films. You know. but it's, it's, it's a bit like, um, what do you call it, I think, I think, I think you could argue that maybe Dog Soldiers by Neil Marshall was the kind of yeah. starting point for what we now know yeah. as this yeah. British horror movement, this, yeah. this Quite a, quite a continuous chain, though, isn't yeah. it? It doesn't yeah. seem to stop. But yeah. there was a time when there wasn't any game. <laughs> no, at the time there wouldn't. No, yeah. no, no. I think um, maybe because it was all the. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, so we've thinking of yourself as a writer, yeah, and the idea of writing process and stuff. And obviously, we're all different. And this is something that I'm, I, I, yeah. I, I always like to hear how other people work. Mm-hmm. So when you when you go when that light bulb goes off. Or maybe it doesn't work like that. How do you pull together the the, the thoughts and the and the approach to then then writing a script? Well, I think uh, the first thing I do about uh, writing is, believe it or not, I don't write. Go on, what do you do then? <laughs> <laughs> I like to know this secret. <laughs> I I spend a lot of time thinking about the idea. I spend a lot of time making sure that the idea works. If I have an idea, I spend a lot of time looking at every film, reading any book that is similar to my idea. Um, Because the thing is, very often I think people get very excited about an idea and they just write furiously, non-stop, oh my god, it's a great idea, and just type, 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 or whatever, you know. I think not enough time is spent actually thinking about the concept. How are you going to make it work? How are you going to make it really different from what's been done before? Yeah. You know. Um, so my advice is whenever the light bulb, you know, comes on, uh, make sure that you don't write. You know. Count to ten is what you're saying. Think you're about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, research your idea. Um, you know. Just spend a lot of time testing that idea. Yeah. Mm. So then you know what's been done before in the same kind of vein, if you like. And then from that, then you know, can, can you talk about your idea then to other people? And very, then get... very little. Okay. Very, very little. Because no. I was listening to the, um, the guy that did the film The East. Yeah. And he was saying that he has a writing partner and they, they basically almost yeah, tell each other. Yeah, it's a different they dynamic. Like, they almost yeah. tell each other's story dynamic, to the point yeah. that. Yeah. They can, so they start off with the idea. They yeah. go, "What about this?" And it's it's like thinking out loud. Yeah. Against. I mean, I, I do that with, uh, you know, with very very few people. But mm. I tend to be quiet because I know 
uh, from experience, what can really excite me now, mm. um, I might not be excited about it in a week. Mm. What can make me more and more excited by an idea if I go deep into it and I look at various films or read books or anything like that that are similar mm. to what I'm trying to do. And it's only when I found that the idea I have, is, you know, the idea I have, is actually quite different from what's been done before, then I get more and more excited about it. Okay. Know. It's a very different way. So it's, it's like excitement, yeah. calm, yeah. and then excitement again, you can yeah. decide. Yeah, I mean, there's excitement, but you know, at some point you've got to get reality, to let reality come into yeah, yeah, the process. Yeah. Mm. I find out too many people, uh, writers or whoever, get very, very excited by an idea to a point where they become bland. Mm. Uh, maybe it's not such a great idea. You know? <laughs> no, I mean, I think the last, from a personal point of view, it, it, learning to not be impatient is quite a big thing for a writer. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it can't make you bland to think. I mean, you say it again and again, you know, people need excitement mm. because it, it gives them the motivation, the uh, determination to do whatever they need to do. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, you know, writing, you know, I mean, to be very honest, I hate writing. You know, the whole idea of sitting down and just, you know, cutting myself off from life for two, yeah. three months to write something, I hate it. I do not like writing. For me, it's painful to write, you know. So, really, that's why, A, you know, I make sure that, you know, whatever idea I'm working on is actually a good one. Okay. Let the excitement, the initial excitement fade mm. and let reality you know into the room and you know and be very very brutal uh well not how i work anyway mm. uh, to be as brutal as possible uh toward whatever i'm thinking writing and then how do, when you've got to that point where you've kind of filled yourself up with kind of the the, the, the surrounding knowledge and yeah media that, that is like what you're doing do you then are you doing are you laying it out in cards? Are you write, do you write your synopsis? No, I write a treatment. You do a treatment? Yeah, I write a treatment because uh, the way, again, I work, I mean, you know, everybody has a different method. Mm. Is, first of all, a well-thought-out idea. I mean, that the screenplay or, you know, will write itself. Mm. So the amount of effort or time that you will spend it's going to be certainly less than, you know, if you don't have, you know, a well-thought idea, okay. basically. Um, <clears throat> but then I write a treatment. Uh, the reason why I do that is I put myself in the, uh, the mind or in the shoes of my protagonist, and I leave the story with my protagonist. Okay. You know, so it's almost like a process of... Um, Living the story for real, I mean, in my head, of course, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the protagonist. You know? So I get a treatment done. Uh, you know, if the idea is well thought out, your treatment will be done very, very quickly. Okay. You know? it's well worked out. You know? So, so then let's using taking deviation then as an example. Yeah. So, um, where where did deviations? Where where was that initial that? What was the spark that got you a deviation? What were you thinking? Um, 
the, the, the first thing that sparked, you know, my, uh, my you know, for me anyway, mm. it's the whole idea of having a 90-minute film that basically or mainly take place in and around a car. Okay. And, you know, it's about a psychopath kidnapping, you know, a nurse or carjacking a nurse. Mm. And that's it. You're stuck with the man. You know, that was something that, you know, I thought was going to be very challenging to do because... You, where did you go? That, so when you, when you were there, where did you go? What, what were you reading? What were you watching to help? Well, I mean, you know, the first idea. film, you, you know, do, uh, well, I've seen, you know, quite a few films, but I mean, you know, um, um, you know there was this film, uh, The Hitcher, there was one, uh, or this uh, 1940s film, They Only Live Once. Okay. Uh, you know, there was many, many other things. But, I mean, it's not just about, you know, the premise. I also read a lot of, you know, books about, you know, psychopaths. Mm. Uh, you know, nurses, uh, you know, get, you know, feel of the world. I mean, you know, I even down, you know, went down to a prison to have a look at, you know, real prisoners' shifts, you know, sunks. Really? Yeah, I mean, you just get um, sort of, it's not reality because, you know, when you write, it's not really about, you know, duplicating reality, you know, it's about, you know, being credible. Well, the real, real is always better than what you can make up, isn't it? If you, if, if you if you try and make something up, you'll always know it's made up. But if you've if you've witnessed it in a sense that it exists, either it came from another real story or it's a, like you say an item that you've yeah. seen, and you know that with confidence you're. Uh, I mean, I'm of the school that you know if reality is boring, well, you know, just make it up. You know, <laughs> but um, I think even if you are writing, you know. Any form of fiction does have to have some kind of resonance in the real world. Yeah. You know, uh, whether you're creating it, it's up to you. I mean, it's, it's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't mean I don't mean literally following yeah, real life. Yeah. But the fact is that uh, there's a, there's an English saying that you know there's there's doubt stranger than folk. You know exactly. You know so yeah. really all the mad things. Yeah, have happened really as well. Yeah. So exactly. It's yeah. A case of, so I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm you know. I need to, um, you know, uh, with deviation, I need it, you know, to root it in reality. Mm. And then once it's done, then you can make up, make it up as yes, much yes, as you yes, want. Yes. You know, you know, yeah. And what was once once you got that treatment? Then what was the development process of of the, make, making the script and getting ready to shoot? So, uh, what was that? Did you? Uh, well, it's a kind of a um, slightly torturous route because the original uh, screenplay was an American script, which I had developed um, in my years in Hollywood. Uh, because what happened is after Hardman, um, it was bought uh, by Fox in America uh, for big money. And, and then we sold Hardman in over 40 or 45 countries across the world. Yeah. So it was a, you know, a bit of a hit. Well, financially, it was a hit anyway. Mm. Um, and then I got you know, picked up by an agency in LA, uh, United Talent Agency, which is a major oh God, yeah, yeah. agent. Of course. And, um, and yeah, and bef before long, I was you know, working with people like Martin Scorsese, mm. uh, Ridley Scott, who was a great fan of Hardman. Uh, Martin Scorsese was a great fan of Hardman as well. Uh, so I had my little yeah. cult thing there going. 
Um, but at the time I was uh, in LA and I was um, thinking of a contained stove well before people talk about contained stoves. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that was the idea I came up with. It was an American script at first. Um, and we did get an you know, option by a producer out there. And it didn't happen. So, um, you know, it was in my, you know, somewhere in my head. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to make a very uh, quickly. I didn't want to spend time or anything like that. I wanted to make a film very quickly. And obviously, you know, contained story is what the way to go, you know. So that is why I uh, sort of took my American screenplay yeah. and turned it into a London story, basically. Okay. But I, you know, it was a bit torturous, but... But then again, you know, making it here in the UK, there's one big, you know, the big thing we had to do was compression, you know, to compress the story, the characters, the journey, the time. Because when it was an American script, it was taking, because America is very big, so it was taking place over, you know, a few days, uh, there was uh, car chases, mm. I mean, it was big, you know. Yeah. But, you know, if you have a little you know, low budget and you're doing it in London, you know, um, and suddenly everything had to be very, very compressed, you know, and it became more contained as a story, as opposed to uh, the original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, you know. And, um, and did, did you work with, um, did Lucy work with you on that project? Uh, Lucy, her, yes. From the script yeah. development? Yeah. Can you talk about how that helped? Develop the script then from a layperson, well, they wouldn't know the idea of someone like Lucy would. With Lucy, would be first of all, uh, 95% of our relationship is through emails. Mm. We rarely talk. I mean, uh, we probably meet once a year, okay. you know, if you're around in London. So that's the first thing. Um, it's very simple. It's just like, hi Lucy, I've just had this idea. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Oh, great, or bad, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, if I decide you know, to sort of develop the idea, hi, Lucy, uh, this is the treatment. How do you like it? Uh, yeah, 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 little point here, there, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, it, that's how our relationship is, basically. Okay. Because, uh, you know, I'm not a great one for... Sitting down, sitting down around a you know, table in Soho and have endless cup of coffee, talking, 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 and talking. You know, I like you know, to just you know, do it my own way, if you like. You know, and mm. Just get it done, get it done. You know. But the role of the script consultant helps you yeah. develop the script yeah. as well. Just for the yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, um, with deviation, uh, it was just. The main conversation we had, I mean, email conversation we had, was about you know how to make it British. You know, of course, yeah. Of course, that, that's it what up. it is. I mean, uh, because in the American script, I mean, there was a major plot point that you know involved a rattlesnake. Now, you're not going to find them in London. So, uh, <laughs> so I came up with another idea, and, and oh yeah, that's great. Oh, that's great. You know, it's just basically how it works. You know. Now that stars Danny Dyer. Yeah. And obviously he, he is a 
he's a, a, a sort of. Why are we talking about him? <laughs> no, go ahead. No, only because, only because he is a successful British actor. You know, yeah. he's, he, yeah. he's he's regularly yeah. working. He's a lovely guy too. I was going to say. So what? What he's he has his he has his um, he has his geezer geezer on the terraces um, persona. Not in deviation, no. Um, Obviously, no, no, not his acting, but you know when he's doing his. Well, the first time we met, we got on very well. Mm. But, I mean, I remember the first thing because I wasn't very sure about him. Okay. Um, and the first thing I said to him, I said, Danny, um, now I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. Mm. Then, but if you're thinking of turning up on the set and doing your usual you know, Cockney geezer routine, mm. uh, it's not going to work. You know? And his reaction was instant. You know? He would say, no, 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 I don't want to do this. Mm. Now, I'm not going to say to you exactly what he said because, you know, there's a lot of effing and blinding in there. <laughs> but no, he was absolutely, um, you know, determined not to do that. Okay. So from then on, we had a lot of uh, fun you know, basically building his character as a yeah. more of a nerd and geek and, you know, a um, bit of a, you know, a man who'd never really grown up. So writing him a, a sort of a game. No, 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 no. I mean, when we were working director... Oh, I see. Uh, it was already on the page. Oh, OK. Uh, it was already on the page. Sorry. I mean, that he was, you know... The character was very, um, you know... I mean, he was emotionally stunted, basically. Okay. You know. And now, you, now you've got your new project, which was um, announced that's in pre-production. Yeah. Now. Assassin, also with Mr... With yeah. Mr. Dyer and uh, yeah, we hated each other so much on deviation that we're doing another one. So, where are you in the process of assassinating? Um, we're about is it four weeks? Yeah, about four weeks from shooting. Uh, we are in pre-production. Okay. Yeah. And where where will it, is it? Is it in around? Where's it going to be? It's going to be in London. Okay. As well, yeah. Um, I think it's going to be a really great one for Danny as well. Mm. Um, he played the part of a hitman, but you know, not the kind of hitman that you know people have in mind, which is, oh yeah, hitman, you know, guns and they kill this and that. Yes, he does kill, but he does. But I did a lot of research about real life hitman, yeah. and um, and I found a lot of stuff in there that, is, that I thought was really really interesting. You know, to what, build. what sort of things did you did you find that you didn't that surprised you? Well, that hitmen don't always operate with a gun. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that you know, hitmen are very are almost like film directors in a way that they are very good at staging weird accident in which people uh. disappear, but people never ever found out that it was actually it was murder. It wasn't an accident. No. I'd seen something. Have you seen the film Killer Elite, where they do the um, the SAS? Yes. And they've got the guy with the with the bathroom tiles on the hammer. Yeah. So, so they hit him. So yeah. They, well, so yeah. Like... I mean, uh, it goes further than that. I mean, um, uh, there is a famous. I mean, a film just been made about him. Uh, a famous hitman in New York. Uh, he was known as the Iceman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I did read his the book. That was written about him. Oh, I read it few years back mm. um, and uh, you know, I was absolutely fascinated by uh, the way he was doing his job you know. made a big difference you know because if you are as a hitman if you are killing another gangster 
Yeah. You gotta make a point and scare the opposition. Therefore, you are going to use guns. Make, make it very clear. But you know there are other uh, murders carried out by <clears throat> uh, hitmen which has nothing to do with the uh, underworld, basically. So therefore, that, you know, where the accident and you know, the weird stuff happened, basically. So people need to disappear rather than a yeah. message be sent. Yeah. Okay. So we um, do a very uh, sort of a dark, violent uh, thriller, but it's, it's not going to be a hitman out of the born identity or, or Mission Impossible. Yeah. It's not, a, you know... There is an element of that, I mean, don't get yeah. me wrong, but, you know, and I think Danny um, is sort of rebuilding everything very, very nicely. Yeah. Um, he's the first one to admit that, you know, he's done some pretty uh, poor films in mm. the past. Um, but I think he's sort of rebuilding uh, very nicely. I mean, I, you know, Vendetta is one that's going to come out you know, yeah. in November. Right. And the, the birth and the data uh, is absolutely incredible. You know? um, people are really looking forward to it. Okay. Um, I know it's a very good one because obviously you know, I know the producer, Jonathan Sotcott, who is also you know, we're producing Assassin together. Okay. And Jonathan has put together a, in Vendetta a film that is really um, way above, way, way, way above. From you know what we used from Dan Dyer, basically, and Assassin is continuing. You know, is that do you think that's a conscious thing from Danny, or is that producers, is that producers and directors seeing a different? Is that you guys seeing a different potential in him? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we uh, you know, I'm a great fan of Danny, and I'm not the only one. I mean, mm. you know, there's uh, you know, he's a very very popular. Uh, person, you know, mm. uh, whether, whether people like it or not. I know he's got his vicious uh, detractors, you know, around there, but, you know, ultimately, you know, they can shout and scream and rant and rave, uh, mm. you know, and, and call Danny every name under the sun. Ultimately, he's a very, very popular and well-known actor. No, that's, that's, why, that's why I wanted to ask about him, because he's, no, uh, he's very enigmatic, you know, there's, there's a personality yeah, in that absolutely. people I mean, When we were making Deviation, whenever we were, you know, in a public place or, you know, something, we couldn't move. Mm. You know, we got mobbed, I'm not joking, we got mobbed at a petrol station where we were filming, mm. four o'clock in the morning, in Lee, which is <laughs> southeast London. Yeah. We got mobbed. Yeah. Not one or two people. I'm talking about it went around the area that um, Danny was uh, filming yeah. there. I'm not joking. 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, mothers and daughters coming out in their pajamas. We have a look. Cars coming in and out, in and out. It was just, you know, we had, to, in the oh, end, I'm, I'm, in the end, we had to really, you know, put Danny in the car and said, well, you must go, you got to go. I mean, there were, you know, 30, 40 people in that four <laughs> Four o'clock in the morning, on a weeknight, not weekend or anything mm. like that, on a weeknight, four o'clock in the morning, on the forecourt of a petrol station in South East London in a place called Lee. I mean, I it's just... I know it. I'm only living late. There you go. <laughs> you know. And I think, yes, I mean, the... Um, there is a new brand that, you know, um, Jonathan, the uh, producer of Vendetta, and my partner on Assassin, is actually instrumental in uh, seeing it. Yeah. 
Well, look, final question then's a bit of fun. So yeah. hopefully you've had a bit of fun thinking about it. Um, if there was any film you could you could be involved with rebooting, whether you'd be directing, writing, producing, <laughs> what in your mind would you love a crack at rebooting? Goodness me. Um, I can't think of any because I mean, I, I'm always a bit wary of rebooting. Well, think of it as if it'll never happen. But if you can have a crack at the whip, because I that was that was um, I interviewed uh, Kevin Howarth, the actor. Yeah. And his was I said for him I said which would you love to play the lead in, and he said Magnificent Seven. Which one? Magnificent Seven. Yeah. But he went. But I'm not saying you should reboot the film. <laughs> you know, if you ask me, which is more or less what film would I like to? I mean, think of it the other way around. Then, what film would you like? What, what film would you like? To okay. Uh, what I would love to reboot is probably going to be Frankenstein. Really? Yeah. Which which Frank Stanley would you be looking from to? the book? Okay. Not the film. Right. So you'd yeah. be looking to yes option the book and then. Well, the book is in the um, in the um, public, public domain. domain. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, so, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that is one of my dream projects. Okay. Why? Why? What's What's the appeal there for, for Frankenstein for you? Uh, the appeal for me is uh, the story, as you know, of the book and you know, uh, many of the films were always told from the point of view of Victor Frankenstein, who is the scientist. The scientist yeah, yeah. I'd love to tell the same, the same story from the point of view of the monster. Okay. And in a, in a sort of a neo-noir sci-fi setting, you know, it's a bit like Blade Runner. Also oh, go dystopian into a dystopian yeah. future. Oh, okay. uh, that is one of my dream projects. I've already done quite a bit of work on it yeah, over, yeah. The, over the years, you know. Yeah. But it, it is a very big one. It's a very, very big yeah. budget, yeah. Um, because what annoys me, uh, I mean, I like the book, don't get me wrong. I yeah, actually yeah. love the book. But what annoys me is that the scientist is actually seen as the victim there, you know victim of his own creation. Yeah. Um, the more I look at the book and the more I read it and the more I think about it and the more I realise the real victim really is the monster. In a literal sense, yeah. Yeah, it is, because think about it very, very carefully. Somebody's made you totally ugly, horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, who is the victim there? No, in that sense, yeah. But I think, <laughs> on a horror film moral sense, yeah. They're saying, don't meddle with, with God. That, that's a kind of, in a, in a religious sense, yeah. Frankenstein's all about, don't, yeah. don't do what God does. Yeah, don't play should, God. Or else you'll yeah. Do not play food. God. But, I mean, think about it. I mean, I, the more I look at the book, and... I've never read the book, so I'm, I'm, I'm I, 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 I love the book. It's very long, it's, you know, it's very flowery, mm. um, which is, you know, the style of the time. Or maybe, you know, Mary Shelley was apparently high on drugs anyway, so... Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe there was, uh, yeah, apparently the, the story goes that when um, he wrote the book, um, he was doing, uh, you know, he was on a bander, you know. Hmm. Um, so there's a bit of a stream of consciousness going on as well in the book. But for me, I mean, the real victim is um, the monster, you know, or the demon or whatever, it doesn't have a name in the book. And I always thought maybe, especially now, you know, we're talking about all these new sort of 
scientific progress. Mm. You know, uh, cloning humans. Uh, you know, we are able to harvest and grow human organs in a lab using DNA and stuff mm. like that. So, you know, obviously the book in itself is very precise in the way that, you know, kind of... Oh, okay, so you would use, you would use the, te- the, the our yes. understanding now of cloning yeah. and stuff. Yeah. To, ah, okay, excellent. Yeah, it's a bit of, um, yeah, kind of a Blade Runner type of thing. Well, look, JK, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me. So, that's how the interview fared with JK Amelie on the mezzanine at the BFI building in the South Bank. Hope the background noise didn't interrupt your listening pleasure too much. When I started the recording and before I formally started the interview, JK talked about what he thought makes a good storyteller. I will package that up in its own 10-minute bonus podcast, which will be available in a week's time. Any thoughts you have on this or other podcasts, or an idea for people you'd like to hear on the British podcast, please say hello to me on Twitter, at Leighton Rocks. Don't.